This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated and open up to Exodus 24. We'll be working through our Old Testament lesson today. That's on page 64 in your pew Bibles. I went to an evangelical uh, liberal arts institution about five minutes from here. That's where I did my schooling. That's also where I met Julie. Uh, now, Wheaton is, in my day, there was something called an RDT. And I understand that it's morphed a little bit. It, it may also be known today as the DTR. Um, so as an RDT, it's relationship-defining talk, or maybe it's time to define the relationship. But either way, what it means is, is when one party is expressing interest, a, a desire for an increase of intimacy. I want to know you better. And I want to know, is this thing that we have, is it, should we call it a dating relationship? What is it? They want to clarify. And it's always great when the other person reciprocates. Now at Wheaton, these conversations are often lengthy, angsty, and fraught with premature heaviness about what is the we, and what is the us that is we, and who are us, and what? And also, is this God's will that we should be married? And they're asking this after two weeks of knowing each other. <laughs> and I totally did that. But before I met Julie, so I crashed and burned on the first one. Just call me Maverick. Next year, I meet Julie, and I say to myself, I'm not doing that again. And so when Julie and I started getting to know each other, the first month or more was just going out on dates, having fun, keeping it light, getting to know one another. And I didn't even bring up the M word until I had bought the ring. Marriage, that is. Yeah. Julie and I like to boast that we had Wheaton's shortest record for the RDT. It was 17 seconds long. I said, all right, Thanksgiving is coming up. I'm going to see mom. And she's been hearing a lot about you. She's going to want to know if you're my girlfriend. Julie deferred and said, well, what are you going to tell her? And I said, well, I, I think I'll tell her yes if that's okay with you. And she said, that's okay with me. <laughs> Our story today, Exodus 24, comes in part of several chapters linked together, Exodus 19 to 24. And this is a moment where Israel has come out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They've come through the wilderness, and they're now at Mount Sinai. And this is an RDT moment. In fact, some have compared this to like a betrothal or a proposal moment where God is saying to Israel, I want to be your God. I want a closer relationship with you. And the people say, yes, and that is what we want also. So again, the Passover had happened. They'd come through the Red Sea. This is 50 days later. They're at Mount Sinai, which is why Jews even today when they celebrate Pentecost, which they call Shavuot, they're commemorating and remembering the giving of the law at Sinai. So they pass through the waters of the Red Sea at Passover. They receive the law at Pentecost at Sinai. And that's why it's our uh, Old Testament reading this morning as we also celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So in, in these five chapters, 19 to 24, it begins and ends with a fire and a smoking mountain, a, a mountain that's filled with the presence, the thick cloud of God, out of which comes the loud trumpet sound and a presence so terrifying that the people, they tremble in its presence. And God calls Israel to the holy mountain, and he calls Moses up into the mountain, and there he gives to Moses the Ten Commandments and the first nugget of of the law, and there will be more laws to come, but he gives to Moses those laws that now make up chapters 20 through 23 of the book of Exodus. Then Moses comes back down the mountain. 
Then later, God calls Israel to the mountain again to worship, and that is Exodus 24. That's the moment that you heard told about and read from the Scriptures just a moment ago. And after the story that we read today, Moses will go up to the mountain a third time, this time for 40 days and 40 nights. He'll receive instruction about how to build the tabernacle. And it's during this period, after today's story, that the whole golden calf debacle takes place, and Moses goes back down. He finds that the Israelites are worshiping a false god. Okay? So that happens just after the story today. God calls Israel to the mountain. There's smoke, there's fire, there's a thick cloud, there's, there's the presence of God, and, and there's a few places like this throughout the Old Testament. He comes in cloud on the temple and on the tabernacle, and in each of these kinds of stories, we might walk away saying, okay, when God draws near, as he's clearly doing in this story, how do we respond? How do we draw near to smoke? and fire, and a holy mountain, and a trumpet blast. When God draws near, how do we draw near? And the answer to that question is that we draw near in two ways, through covenantal commitment and through the mediating ministry of word and sacrament. So we're going to see today that, yes, God desires the increase of intimacy with you, with all of his people, ever-increasing intimacy. He desires the increase of intimacy, but that requires a covenantal commitment and the ministry that mediates his presence through word and sacrament. So let's take a closer look at chapter 24. Let's kind of recap the story. Notice in verse 2, at first, it's Moses alone. Moses alone goes up the mountain. That's important. We'll come back to it later. When he comes back down in verse 3, what is he doing? Moses came and told the people all the words. So he's proclaiming the word of God. He's proclaiming the Ten Commandments and the laws that he received, the law of God to the people of God. And the end of verse 3, how do the people respond? With a yes. Yes, we want this. Yes, we will do all that we heard. Verse 4, Moses writes down the law. Now it's written, the word of God written. Verses 5 and 6, they're gathering animals. They have a sacrifice. Moses takes the blood. But before he sprinkles it on the people, in verse 7, what does he do? He takes the book of the covenant, now the written word of God, and he reads it. So he proclaims the word of God again. And after the proclamation of the word of God, now he takes the blood, and he sprinkles it on the people in a sacramental action where the outward sign of sacrifice and blood is telling of an inward reality of a covenantal embrace. And then verse 9. Now after this covenantal commitment, now after the ministry of the Word and of this sacramental action, now the way is made open. And look, Moses and Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders of Israel, now they go up together and they see God. They see the feet of God in a vision that's pretty unique. It's unlike a lot of what you'll see in the rest of the Bible. There's a few other places that have something similar of this close to the glory of God. They see the soles of his feet, and it says, they ate and drank in the presence of God. And then, yes, after this, Moses goes up yet again for a third time 
this time for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he comes back down to the golden calf. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So we see in this story, God's desire is for that increase of intimacy. But that requires a covenantal commitment, and it requires the ministry of mediation that comes through word and sacrament. But before we go on and talk about covenantal commitment, if you're wondering, all right, smoke, fire, and a, and a holy mountain, that happens just a few times in the Bible. Does God still come near? Does he still desire intimacy? And the answer to that is not always in smoke and fire and a visible holy smoking mountain, but yes, the whole story of the Bible is the story of a God who is always coming near to his people, always taking that first step and always inviting a yes response from us. In fact, you can look at the whole arc of salvation history as a progression into greater intimacy with God. So think of it this way. In the Old Testament at the very beginning, God was with his people. He was in the midst of them, but they could not see him face to face. There was no physical presence. Take a step closer. When Jesus is walking the earth, God is with his people like before. He's in their midst. But now there's also the physical presence, the face-to-face. -face. Take a step further. On the day of Pentecost, what we're celebrating today, now God is not only with his people. He's what? He's within his people. But we still don't have the face-to-face, -face, or we've Jesus has ascended to heaven. So right now, we're, God is within, but we don't have the face-to-face -face encounter. And so we're looking forward to a future time, the final stage of this intimacy, where when Jesus comes back, it will be God within his people and face-to-face, -face, the physical presence, seeing God and with him forever. So this progression of intimacy, that's God's heart. We see it even in this text, where again, verse 2, it was Moses alone. Only Moses could go up. Then, after the covenant and the ministry of word and sacrament, the elders of Israel were able and invited up to the presence in the holy mountain. But what about the rest of Israel? They were left out at this point. So now we fast forward to Joel chapter 2, where the prophet Joel begins that chapter evoking scenes from Sinai, a smoking mountain, a trumpet blast, a solemn assembly. And at the end of chapter 2, he says, In the later days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, men and women, old and young, slave and free. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, everyone will be invited up to the holy mountain into the presence of God. So even in this chapter, we see that progression towards what we're celebrating today, that on Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on men and women, young and old, slave and free. And now all who call in the name of the Lord are invited into that close intimacy in the midst of the presence of a holy God. So in this RDT, on God's side, he desires greater intimacy. The question for you this morning, do you reciprocate? Do you also desire closer intimacy, a closer walk with your maker and your savior? And if your answer is yes, Exodus 24 tells us the way to a closer walk and greater intimacy with God is through covenantal commitment and also 
through the mediation of his presence, through the ministry of word and sacrament. So let's talk about covenantal commitment again. Uh, verse 3 and verse 7. Again, in verse 3, the Israelites, they hear the words from Moses. He's reading the law, and the very first words of the law are God saying, I am the Lord your God. So right off the bat, he's saying relationship. He's saying, I want to belong to you. I want you to belong to me. I am your God. That's what they're hearing when at the end of verse 3, how do they respond? All the words of the Lord that he has spoken, we will do. They're saying, yes. And same thing in verse 7. Similar, all that the Lord has said, we will do. As God is saying yes to us, we are saying yes to him. So another word for this covenantal commitment is just surrender. That total self-giving, that trustful surrender into the hands of God. It's like Mary who said, as you say, according to your word, let it be, that's what I, I want. I'm, I'm totally at your disposal. And this yes from us opens up a way into greater experiences of God, a greater intimacy with him, ever increasing. He says yes to us. We say yes back to him. He then says yes in a still deeper way and on and on until, well, until no end. An ever-increasing, deepening intimacy in our relationship to the God who made us and loves us and saved us. I want you to stop now and think about moment or, or moments in your life when you've experienced that yes. You've experienced God reaching out to you and it was clear he was inviting you into something more, into something deeper, and you responded with a yes, I am ready, yes, I want to. It may be hard while I'm talking at you to go back and think of all those moments, um, but I do encourage you later today, reflect on your story. What is your story to tell of those God drawing near and you responding with a yes? And as you think of one or a few, I encourage you to share them with somebody today. Tell somebody else the story of a time when you said yes to God. It could be a small little way. For me, I think about the first time I remember really having an encounter with the Lord. I was probably in first or second grade just worshiping at a friend's church at their VBS. Later on, when I was in middle school and I did youth confirmation, that was a formational moment for me. That was a, a moment of yes for me. I recall in high school when I was in youth group listening to an older girl in youth group talk about how she asked God for a deeper thirst and a hunger for his word. And she said, he gave it to me. And then she said, and you can do that too. And I said, that's what I want. And that was a yes moment for me. And I said, God, give me a greater hunger and thirst for your word. And he did. And by the way, you can do that too. You can ask for that. He will give it. Those are a few of my moments and there are more. And Maybe you have some. Tell somebody today, what were those moments where you said yes to God. But if after five minutes of sitting and thinking, you can't come up with a time where you feel like you've said yes to God, first of all, I, I want you to know that I know you're here, that there are people here who your whole life you may have never felt like you've 
said yes to God in that all-encompassing total surrender way, and you've never felt his presence. And I want to speak to you today, first of all, to say it's good to be honest about that. And in a church, which is a spiritual environment, and you may feel some pressure to tell yourself, at least, if not somebody else, that you're a spiritual person, it's actually better right now to just be honest. If you were to say, I have no story to tell. Okay. Well, let's start right there. First of all, no reproach. No judgment on you that you have no story to tell. You may be one of those who say, I'm not really a very good Christian, not like so-and-so over there, or I'm not really all that spiritual. I just kind of show up to church, or I'm dragged to church, and I don't really know why. I'm not the kind of person who has spiritual experiences or says yes to God. Would you want to know what? There is no prerequisite. There is no kind of person that you need to be before you can say yes to God. There's no kind of uh, experience or prerequisite thing that you've done before this moment that makes you able to say yes to God. There's nothing that you need other than in this moment right now, is that what you want? Is that what you want right now? And if you can say, yes, uh, I want to say yes to God, it doesn't matter what's come before. What matters is what's happening for you right now. You don't have to be a special or spiritual person because anyone at any time can begin saying yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. So what if today begins a new season of you saying like Mary, yes, Lord, I, without even fully knowing what it means, I'm available to you. Y yes to you. Yes. I think before long we might be hearing about what God has started doing in your life. And again, no judgment, no reproach that up to this point, that hasn't been the case. But today, moving forward, let that be a change. Start saying yes to God. Now, another hang-up, kind of related to that, I'm not spiritual enough, or I'm not really a good Christian. Another question we might ask is, okay, but what if my yes is imperfect? What if I'm weak in my yes? What if my yes today becomes a no tomorrow? Then what? Well, as I've already told you, what happens after, the Israel, after Israel says yes to God? We will do all that you say. Less than 40 days later, they are worshiping a golden calf. The number one thing God said not to do and that they just said, we will do all that you have said. Less than 40 days later, they are doing that very thing. And isn't it amazing? God knew that would happen. In Exodus 24, when he's making covenant and he's saying, I'm available to you, he knew that less than 40 days away, they'd be breaking his heart. And still, he revealed himself. He revealed a vision of his glory. He drew near to them. He made covenant. And isn't that just the story of the Bible over and over again, that our incredible failures to keep our end of the bargain and our promises are met with incredible faithfulness? on God's end, that he keeps his end of the bargain. So what if your yes today becomes a no tomorrow? What then? What I say to you is what happens next is the most important thing. The day after tomorrow, do you say yes? 
the moment after your no, do you turn around and say yes? Because you can. And that invitation is always there for you. And by saying this, do we make light of sin? That it doesn't matter that we say no to God? By no means. Sin is destructive, and the smallest sin comes from the pit of hell, and Satan wants to destroy your life through sin. So by no means are we making light of sin, but we are saying as grave and serious as that is, the grace of God is greater still. Amen? Amen. So if your yes becomes a no, show up to church next week. Repent and say yes again. So this covenantal commitment, this is the first way that we draw near to God as he draws near to us. And it is something that can be renewed over and over again. We'll do that in a moment. As others are making the covenant of baptism vows for their first time, all of us are renewing our own. We're saying yes again. Along with covenantal commitment, we see in this story the ministry of the mediation of God's presence through word and sacrament. Now, we've got baptisms coming up, and I'm, I'm running out of time a little bit. So maybe stay tuned until next Pentecost, or just let me point out a few quick things. We've heard that Moses is proclaiming the word. Twice he proclaims the word. We've seen sacrifice and the sprinkling of blood, this outward action that reveals the covenantal embrace spiritually. And for us as Christians, at the heart of the sacraments is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, which is why when Jesus is instituting Holy Communion, he uses the same words that Moses uses in Exodus 24. This is my blood of the new covenant. He says it's a new covenant, but my blood of the covenant. Rather than sprinkling, we drink it. But it's the same idea. Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, we're there now. You are seeing God, and you're eating and drinking in his presence, and I'm making a covenant with you. That is what happens through the ministry of word and sacrament every Sunday. And we need the ministry of the word because it's revelation. The word brings us the truth about who God is so that we can know him, the one true God, apart from all of the other false gods that we would otherwise be inventing and creating for ourselves. So we need the word of God in the ministry of revelation. We also need the ministry of the sacraments because they bring us into participation real and tangible, so that what we know up here through the ministry of the Word, we know in our souls, we know in our being through the ministry of participation in the sacramental life. That in baptism, we're going into Jesus. In Holy Communion, He's coming into us. We're participating in His life without participation. Intimacy is not possible. And so week by week, that is how we are changed and transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We see God in the ministry of the Scriptures. He's revealed in the Word of God. Then we eat and drink in His presence when we come to the table. So if our response to the covenantal commitment, that demand for commitment, is to simply just start saying yes all the time, our response to the ministry of Word and Sacrament is to show up to church. Come to church. Come every week. Don't miss. Don't let other obligations or commitments crowd out and overshadow the most important commitment in your week, 
the foundation for all that is to come between now and this moment next Sunday. But don't just show up to church. Come engaged. Come ready and expectant for what God is going to do. Come to the preaching of God's word like you're hearing the sound of the trumpet from Sinai. Come to the table like you know that you're eating and drinking in the presence of the living God, the maker of heaven and earth, ready to engage, believing that these words from the writer of Hebrews are true. And I'll conclude with this. You've not come to what may be touched a blazing fire, darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken, for they could not endure the command that even if a beast touched the mountain, it would be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight, Moses himself said, I tremble with fear. But, says the writer of Hebrews, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so, Lord, on this day, on this Pentecost day, as individuals, as a church, we present ourselves to you and we say once again, yes, as you've drawn near to us, we draw near to you, and we ask for that ever-increasing intimacy, a hunger and a thirst for your presence. Hear our prayer, Lord, and make us evermore your people. And we ask this through the might and power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.